One of the greatest things you'll ever do for your pastor is be faithful when he's gone. And encourage him when he's gone. Let him know how good things go and thank God for the staff that God's given you. And it's good for him to get away every now and then. You ought to take care of him and see to that and and, uh, make sure he has that opportunity because he needs to be refreshed. And I'm going to tell you, your pastor, everywhere I go, he's respected. And I want you to know that. He is. He and I haven't had a lot of time together, but I know people that are mutual friends, and they always speak so highly of him. And it's a thrill for me to be here and see him in you and the work that God is doing with him and with you. And I want to tell you, we're, we're blessed. I want you to know we are so blessed to be on vacation and to be able to come here I told uh, Susie and I and Dixie were talking on the way today, and I said, it, the, the church is alive. I mean, it's just exciting. It's alive to be there, and, and uh, man alive, I, you're singing. I about blew my throat out today. I don't know. I, I'm not sure I could take a steady diet of that. Uh, I may have to have some surgery done or something when I get back home, but man, I like, I like the excitement of it, and I'm thankful for that, and and uh, grateful for you. And, and li- listen, don't take this for granted. You don't, you don't see this everywhere. I, I mean that. I want you to know that. This isn't everywhere. This Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, it's not everywhere. And what you have here is of God. And God's given you a good man and, and his wife to, to lead you and, and uh, family that, that uh, has ministered here. And uh, it's just, it's, a, it's an unusual atmosphere and you don't find it everywhere. And, and love each other. Just love each other. Thank God for each other. And, um, and rejoice in what God's done for you. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. And uh, we're going to look here tonight. Romans chapter number 4. We're going to begin reading in verse number 13. Romans chapter number 4. And verse number 13 is where we'll start. The Bible says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now the subject we're going to look at in these verses is faith. The illustration of that subject is Abraham. So we're talking about faith, and God's going to illustrate faith through the life of Abraham. Verse 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was uh, about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also 
to perform. Father, today we thank you for the joy and the privilege to stand here in this pulpit and preach to this wonderful group of people. Lord, we've been blessed, and I thank you. I pray now that you would do in our midst what only you can. Speak to our hearts, God, I pray. I ask that you would just continue the work in our lives, continue to mold us and and to grow us and, and do tonight what you would do in this service. We'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. I'm going to preach to you tonight on the subject of faith. And I'm aware of the fact that if you've been saved very long, that's a bread and butter subject for you and I. We've heard faith throughout our entire Christian life. In fact, I I would go as far as to say that you have never from this pulpit ever heard a message that did not either directly or indirectly deal with the subject of faith. And the reason for that is because it is essential to the Christian life. There's nothing that we can do that we can do without faith and be pleasing to God. In fact, the Bible says, for by grace are we saved, are we saved through faith, okay? And the, and the, not of yourselves. It's, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we're, we're saved by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. And so the very beginning, if I could say it, the very birthing of our Christian life begins by, by this matter of faith, and us placing our faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ, in His finished work uh, that He did for us on Calvary. Then the Bible says in Romans 11 and verse number 20 that we are to stand by faith. And so not only are we saved by faith in Christ, but we are to stand by faith. That means every position that we take in life, every place that we plant our feet, every stand that we take ought to be a faith venture for the Lord And it's very important. Then in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says we're to walk by faith. And so standing means our position. Walking means our direction. And so every direction in life. We're saved by faith in Christ. We are to stand by faith in Christ. We are to walk by our faith in Christ. Every direction that we choose in life, every single step we take in any direction, one or the other, has to be a step of faith. Now I'm going to tell you that's how God works. He works by us stepping out in faith. In fact, four times in the Bible, we're told that the just shall live by faith. So every section, every part, every avenue in our Christian life after we're born again, all of it is permeated by this matter of faith. And I think it's important. Now here's our, here's our temptation. And here's our problem. Our problem is because we're flesh, we want to walk by sight. Okay, we want to see, we want to, you know, let me know, let me see this. Let me, let, you know, show me your work. Show me how you got to the end of this. We're, it's like a math problem. We want it all figured out on a board for us so that we can fully grasp it. And the reality of the matter is that that turns us basically into humanists. When we want a, we want a, a formula, we, show, me how to, show me how this is done. We become humanistic. You know, we, we, want to go to a, we want to go to a spiritual meeting somewhere and somebody to give us a 10-point outline on how to be a victorious Christian. Well, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. You become a victorious Christian by walking by faith, living by faith, standing by faith, and, and having faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, you can't graduate from a Bible college and you walk across the platform and they hand you a diploma and all of a sudden, you know, you got a Gomer Powell moment. Shazam! This is awesome, man. I'm now suddenly a spiritual giant because I've got this piece of paper. It's not how it works. 
That's not how it works. Listen, you can't go to a seminar. You can't go to a program anywhere and, and, and just sit there and go, and go through some little ditty that they teach, teach you. And then suddenly by, by, by working out these 10 points, all of a sudden we're there. That, that's not how it works. We have to live. We have to live by faith, not by sight. Sight is humanistic living. Faith is Christian living. Now, when I, when I was going to Idaho, I felt like God was calling me to Idaho 15 years ago. My idea was simply this. That's a great idea. I mean, you know, I love Georgia, but I, I, I'd been to Idaho and, and, and preached one time in this beautiful place. So I just thought, this is great. So here's my idea to God. God, I think it's a wonderful idea, but there's a lot of logistics I don't understand. I've got, I've got children going to be moving out there with me. They're going to marry people out there. We're going to have grandkids out there. And the herrings of Georgia are going to become the herrings of Idaho. And I don't know how that's all going to work. I've got a wife to take care of. I've got a good church I'm pastoring. I've got a paycheck that comes in every Sunday. And so here's what I need you to do. Lord, if you'll just outline for me... What's going to happen and how this is all going to work out. And you'll sign your name at the bottom. I'll sign my name. We'll be in contract and we'll go to Idaho. We'll plant a church out there. But you know what? God doesn't work that way. He never gave me the outline. And he never signed his name. He just gave me a promise. I had an evangelist friend of mine named Jim Rushing. He was a dear, dear brother, dear friend of mine. And uh, sort of mentored me some, and, and uh, he knew that God was working on my heart. So he came and picked me up. We went out to eat one night. He said, I'm going to take you out, Brother Dean. So I said, all right. So we went out, and, and uh, I told him what God was doing in my life. And he said this to me. He said, you know what you need to do? I said, what's that? He said, you need to learn how to play checkers with God. And I thought, dude, you've been in the sun too long. <laughs> I mean, you know what? You, you, you're eating too much pizza too late at night. If you think you're playing checkers, I said, what are you talking about, Doc? I don't know what you play checkers with God. He said, have you ever played checkers? I said, of course I played checkers. And he said, well, here's what happens in checkers. He said, somebody makes a move, and then there is no further move by them until you make your move. <clears throat> and their move is in direct relation to what you do. And he said, as far as I can see in this game of checkers, God's already made his move. He's calling you to Idaho to go plant a church and you're not making your move. And God's not going to bless you. He's not going to give you meetings. He's not going to take care of you financially. He's not going to let you know what's next. Listen, what you've got to do now is since God's made his move, you've got to move, you've got to obey, you've got to yield, and then God will begin moving and you and God will play this game. God will get you to Idaho. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. It was an amazing thing and, and how God worked in our life and how God brought us from where we were after all those years of ministry all the way out to Idaho. Let me, let me tell you what the Bible said in Romans chapter 14, verse 23. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. <laughs> well, that's pretty strong. I don't think I would have said that. And I didn't say that. God did, okay? I didn't write that. I mean, that's pretty strong. Whatsoever, if it's not of faith, it's sin. Wait a minute. Now, that's not, you know, that's not like, come on. That's not like having a meth lab. You know what I'm saying? That's not like robbing a bank. That, that's, that's not like pulling for the Florida Gators. I mean, that's sin. Those are sinful things. I'm a Georgia boy now. Come on. That's wicked. But anyhow, that, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not anything. No, no, but God said, listen, God said, if whatever you do, 
If you do it in the power of the flesh, if it's not by faith, God said, I want you to know that's sin to me. That means if we run a Sunday school class by flesh, it's sin. That means if we're not preaching by faith, it's sin. That means if we're not living, if we're not running a bus route, whatever we do, if we're not doing by faith, God said, I'm not, -uh, that, I'm, that's not acceptable to, me, acceptable to me. That's sinful in my eyes. Why? Because that's me making me God. That's me doing it under the power and the authority of my flesh. God, God wants us to live by faith. Now, let me help you. God's going to stretch you. He's not going to leave you where you are. You ever been to a missions conference and, boy, you just, God's working on your heart, and then all of a sudden, you know, you make a commitment, yeah, I'm going to do that, and you go talk with your wife, and yes, yeah, you know, God's been working on her, so the two of you together get together, and you make your commitment. It's like, man, this is great. Whoo, that is good. We're on board with the missions of the church. I'm excited about supporting missionaries and what God's doing. Well, he ain't going to leave you there. A year later, two years later, guess what God does? God's trying to stretch, because it's all gone good. God's trying to stretch you beyond your means. And so what God does then is he taps you on your shoulder, says, so I want you to increase that a little bit. And you talk to your wife, and you're like, good night, I just gave two years ago. What's wrong? Well, you know what, why can't we stay? No, no, it's because God wants to get you out of your comfort zone. Now, getting me out of my comfort zone was taking me away from Georgia. I left ball peanuts behind. Now, it's properly pronounced ball peanuts. But I found out out here, people don't know what ball peanuts are. So I have to say, boiled? Boiled? I say, ball peanuts? Are they like, you shave them? No, dude. Boil them. I preached a revival in Georgia and brought a 50-pound bag back, and we boiled some up, and I took them to church, and, and, and had them in a big pot there. I said, y'all try these out. And so they got one, and they said, preacher, it's mushy. I said, if you've been boiled for hot water for three hours, you'd be mushy too. But I, I, I left ball. Listen, you know, God's, God's getting Dean out of Dean's comfort zone was God getting me away from guys that I grew up in the ministry with, guys that, that, that we played softball together and basketball together and friends of a lifetime. And God said, my, my, I'm going to stretch you, son, from Georgia to Idaho. Now, I don't know. I'm not suggesting that God is going to move you geographically, but I am suggesting to you that God's not going to let you stay where you're comfortable. That may be financially. That may be that God wants you to take a Sunday school class. That may be that God wants you to step out in faith somehow and help out in the ministry of this church in some form or fashion. I'm just going to tell you God's not going to leave you where you are. He wants to stretch you beyond your own means. Listen to this verse, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, number one, must believe that he is, and number two, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay, now, now follow this out. So if I'm going to please God, I have to, number one, believe that God is who God said he is, and number two, I have to believe that God will do what God said he will do. That's personal faith. Is God real to me? Will God do for me what I need God to do for me? He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, here's our problem. Our problem is it's very easy for us to have, it's very easy for us to have faith for someone else. 
You believe God will bless Brother Brooks? Oh, he's a good man. I, I believe God will bless our pastor. I believe God's going to take care of him. I believe God's going to bless our missionaries. I believe that God's going to bless, uh, you know, our, 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 the, the printing ministry here and, and how God has used that over the years. I believe God's going to do great works there. I believe God's going to get the word around the world. I believe that with all my heart. Let me ask you a question. What about your problem? See, it's easy to believe God will bless Brother Dean, or God will bless the missionary, or God will bless the pastor, or, 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 or God will bless this or that that we're involved in. No, no, no. I, listen, I'm asking you, do you believe God can do your miracle? It's so much easier to believe that God can do the miracle of someone else. We have faith for them. You know why? And I'm not being ugly about this. I'm being, just being honest. We don't have any skin in that game. Not a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears. There's not a lot of investment. I understand we give financially, and I, I know that, but I'm just simply saying, listen, when it's my problem, when I need a miracle, when I've got to have God come through and do for me what I cannot do for myself, do I fully, truly believe that my God is true and that my God can do for me what I need God to do for me? Now, I don't know what your miracle is. I don't know what it is that down inside, when you think about it, there's a desperation there. There's a thought that, 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 that you've got to have something happen in this area. But God knows exactly. Now I want you to look, first of all, at the object of Abraham's faith. Remember, Abraham is the illustration. So go back, back with me to verse number 17 of chapter 4 of Romans, and, and let's look at that. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That's Abraham. Now watch this. Before him whom he believed, even, what's that next word? What is it? All right, circle that word. God. Because, because what, what God is, he is the object of Abraham's faith. Now I'm going to stun you with a statement. I wish these, I wish these chairs had seatbelts. It would help you right now. Because what I'm going to say to you is going to be so stunning that you may fall out of your chair. So please watch out for the person next to you. You may have to grip them and hold them in. Ready for this? The object of our faith is to be God. What a stunning. Jaws are dropped. Young ladies right now are writing down. That's amazing. Will the pastor sign that? No, no, think about that. The object of our faith is God. But do we really live that way? Now I'm being facetious a little bit. But in all honesty, have you ever noticed that God is last resort? Have you ever noticed that we'll try every single method almost possible to get something accomplished? You know, somebody said, why, why trust God when you've got Visa and MasterCard? And, and, and really the honest, honest truth of it is so many times our God is made out of plastic. And he resides in our wallet, not on a throne in heaven. And if we need something done, we'll become humanist. We'll take it. We'll charge it. We'll buy it. We'll, per we'll do it our way because we can't, we can't do what the song said. We can't wait on God like we need to. In Georgia, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a Georgia boy. When you go to a... When you go to an, just an old-fashioned Baptist, independent Baptist, preacher's meeting. And, and those guys get preaching, man, I'm going to tell you something. They, we'll, we'll have prayer meetings before that, 
and, and, and it gets, when it gets really serious with praying, the voice begins to quake. Now, if you say our Heavenly Father, you're not serious. But when you say our Heavenly Father, I'm talking about when the, voice, the, the emotion in the voice. Every now and then as a pastor, somebody comes to me and say, Preacher. And they say, when it's not preacher, when it's, you know, if they're saying preacher, they want to talk about the ball game. When they say preacher, something's wrong. And so they'd say to me something like, Preacher. And it was about a particular situation. And then they make a statement like this. All we got left now is God. And I'm like, dude, really? Could that be? Wait a minute. Is that the God that hung the stars in space? Is that the God that spoke the worlds into existence? Is that the God that parted the Red Sea? Is that the God that raised the dead? Is that the God that cleansed the leper? Is that the God that gave sight to the blind? Is that the God that gave hearing to the deaf? Is that the God that, that, that took the child of a mother and brought him back to his mother's arms? Is that the God that is not only the creator of the world, but is the sustainer of the world? And he that hears the inarticulate screeching of a raven feeds us and takes care of us. And the psalmist said, I've never uh, seen the righteous forsaken nor is seed begging bread is that the God you're talking about well if it is you're not really in bad shape all I got left now is God why didn't you start out with him why do we make a mess out of our life and try everything in all the world, try to figure things out on our own? And, and, then, and then we pre- pick up the broken shards and the broken pieces and we bring them to God and say could you put this mess together again should have done that to start with Somebody will say, all we can do now is pray. No, that's the starting point. That's not, that's not last resort. That's, that's first opportunity. Pray. Trust God. That's what we've got to do. Let me tell you this. Faith is only as valid as its object. Now, we're talking about what's the object of Abraham's faith? God. Okay? Faith is only as valid as its object. You see, you can, you can put your faith in so many different things, and, and yet it's not valid. I, I read one time, or heard one time, a, a, an interview of a man who had been ice skating with his son in Minnesota. Now, I preached a revival in Minnesota, and, 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 and those people, they, they park trucks on, on lakes, brother, first. Something's wrong. They, they're, I was at a college and they were parking cars out on a lake. What are you trying to do to your students? You crazy? He was skating with his son. It was, it was on a, toward the end of the season in the springtime. And they were out skating. And he talked about what a beautiful day it was. And his son came to me and said, Dad, let's go skating again. And he said, all right, let's, we'll, we'll get this in one time. And uh, this will be the last day, but we'll, we'll, we'll get one more day in. So they threw their stuff in the back of the station wagon that they had, and they drove down to the lake, and they strapped the gear on. And he talked about how he and his boy were having such a wonderful time. And he said, I was skating, and he was skating. He said, we're just enjoying the day together. And all of a sudden, he was behind me a little ways, and I heard a sound. And he said, I turned around just in time to see the ice breaking beneath the weight of my son. And he said, my son began to scream and call my name. But before the father could get to him, the boy submerged in the frigid waters of that Minnesota lake and drowned. And I remember the weeping voice of the father as he said, if I had only known that the ice was thin, we'd have never gone. You see, the reality of the matter is this. He had... He had great faith in thin ice. It's not not just the volume of your faith. 
It's what you've got your faith in. I preach in an area out in Idaho where, where, where masses of people believe in a prophet by the name of Joseph Smith in a book called the Book of Mormons. And I want to tell you something. They got great faith in thin ice, dear friend. There's no more validity to that than there is to Marvel Comics. And, 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 and the realization is it's, it's, the, it's the, the object of our faith. Faith is only as valid as its object. I was preaching a revival in Indiana and uh, we were eating in a restaurant and the pastor said to me, he said, brother, when we finish eating, would you like to, there's some shops over here, would you like to walk across the lake here and, and go to these shops? And I said, pardon? He said, would you like to walk across the lake and go to these shops? I said, brother, I'm a Georgia boy. I don't walk across lakes, you know. Now, in the millennium, I plan on doing that, okay? Full plan. Look, I'm talking, I'm strolling right across the lake. But I'm not going to do that right now. And he said to me, he said, no, no, the ice is plenty thick to hold you up. I said, I don't, listen, give me a four-wheel drive and a logging chain, okay? Hook it around my my waist. I'll walk out a few feet, and when I tug, you better, you better, you know what I'm talking about, you better hit the pedal. I'm not walking out on a lake. The reality of the matter is this. I've got very little faith in ice. But even though my faith is thin, if the ice is thick, it's the object that matters. You ever, you ever read in your Bible, you ever read in your Bible where Jesus said to them, Oh, ye of little faith. And yet they got what they were praying for. And yet their faith wasn't great. But whatever faith they had, they placed it in the Lord. And I want to tell you here, listen, you may be tonight, you may say to me, preacher, I'm tired. I've prayed. I've prayed. I, I, have, I have struggled with this. I, I want victory in this. I, it may be a child. It may be a marriage. I don't know what it is. But you say, I'm just worn out. I don't have much faith left. That's okay. Whatever faith you have, put it in Christ. And Christ can do with your little bit of faith. Because he's the great object of our faith. You remember the story of the man, let's say that this side is, is, is total unbelief and this side of the platform is total faith. By the way, none of us are here. None of, Paul wasn't here and we're not here. But here's the guy, he's saved and he knows the Lord and he's come along, he's come along a little ways and and, and, and he's talking to the Lord, and he says to the Lord, um, I believe. He's looking back, and yes, Lord, I, I do believe in you. Yes, I believe you can do things. And then he sees how far he's got to go, and he says, but help thou my unbelief. That's where we all are. I believe, but I've still got unbelief. Nobody here has total faith. We all struggle at times. We ask God, have you ever, have you ever prayed for something, and you got it, you were shocked? Don't stare at me like a calf at a new gate. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely, yeah. I asked God for it. You know what? <laughs> he gave it to me. That's because of the unbelief. Now, we're all along this line somewhere, some further than others, but we're all growing in our faith. And the object of our faith has, it has to be in God. Second thing, how does our faith grow? Let me give you this. It is the knowledge of the object that determines the volume of our faith. What do you know about the object? It determines the volume of our faith. You know, um, we don't gather together at the altar and try to, you know, do the karma deal. You know, 
let's get some karma, man. Oh, I need, I need to just get some karma. I'm trying to get a lot. I'm trying to just draw some positive thinking to me, you know. That, that, that's stupidity. It's all over the place. The reality of the matter is that's not how you get faith. You don't psych it in. You don't draw it in with karma. That's not it at all. Let me tell you how you get more faith in God. You read the Word of God, and you make notes about what God's done in your life that you needed God to do. I think of the story of, of, of uh, 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 David. You know, David... David was out watching his father's sheep, and his father called him in and said, Look, I got some peanut butter jelly sandwiches. I want you to take them down to your brothers and give them while they're there. And so David walks out. He's got a bag full of goodies for his brothers. And as soon as David shows up under the providential guidance of Almighty God, here comes a giant walking down into the valley, thumping his chest, defying David, defying uh, the armies of da- uh, the God of David. He's defying the armies of the living God. He's mocking everybody there. And David is looking around like, who's, who's going to fight him? And, and, and uh, David says, uh, who, who is this? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, his older brother comes up to him and says, look, I, I, know, your, I know your heart. You're a punk. You're arrogant. Why don't you go back to the handful of sheep my father gave you? Get out of here. Shut your mouth and go home. Now, let me help you with this. Faith always appears foolishness to people that are living in the flesh. See, his brother was hiding in a foxhole over there, and now now this kid's up talking big. It's making his brother look bad. So when you step out on faith, listen, when you step out on faith, you're probably going to be criticized to the people closest to you. They're They're going to ridicule you. They're going to mock your faith. You know what David did? He said not a word to him. In fact, he turned his back on him. There's no argument. If you're, look, if you're right with God, if you're living by faith, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to argue yourself. David just turned around and said this, is there not a cause? Well, somebody runs up to Saul. And they said to Saul, hey, Saul, you're not going to believe this kid. He, look, he's not much. He's not much, but he's talking big. You need to see him. And so, sure enough, uh, uh, Saul calls David up and he said, now, i got a question for you. That giant, Goliath, has been fighting longer than you've been alive. Why should I send you down there? And David basically said this. You read it. I know two things about God. Two things that makes me believe I can go in the valley and defeat that giant. Well, what what are those two things? Well, first of all, a lion came to get my father's sheep that I was watching. And he said, I never fought a lion before in my life, but, 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 but here he was, and this was my responsibility. And he, and, and he said, basically, God gave me victory over a lion. I bearded him, and I slew him. Then he said, later, a bear came along, and the bear had the same intent that the lion had. And God gave me victory over the bear. I've sl- I, have, I have slayed a lion and a bear. And if God can give me the lion and God can give me the bear, God can give me the giant. Two years ago, I stood in the Valley of Elah. I'd take some trips over, lead some trips over to the Holy Land. And we had our group down there. And we stood in there. That valley on one side was the, was the Israelites. On the other side was the Philistines. That giant came down on the valley and thumped his chest defied the armies of God. David walked down into that valley and the giant said to him, am I a dog that you send send this kid to fight me? And David said, you come to me with force, with your armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And he went over to a brook and he drew drew five stones out. 
You ever know why he drew five stones? Somebody said, well, you know, the giant had a bad brother, an ugly aunt, a mean mama, and two twins that were going to kill him if, if, if he got through the... No, no, no. Because God never told him that one stone would do the job. Anybody can throw a stone and haul buggy. You know what hauling buggy means? It means getting out in a hurry, okay? Anybody, anybody can do that. You know the children's song, and he, put the sun, and he went round and around and around. That, no, it don't go round and around. If you go round and around and around and around, they're going to find you in between the giant's toes, okay? So it's not round and around and around and around. David took that, that stone, put it in the sling, and he drew it back, and he let it go, and God leaned over David's shoulder and went, yeah. And when he did, son, that thing hit hyperspeed. Bam! Right there, fell over and hit the ground. And David was victorious. Why did David face the giant? Because he knew something about God that the people hiding in the foxholes did not. Years ago, I heard the story of an evangelist that was preaching up in Canada. And uh, he was preaching for a college friend. And they would preach back in those days Monday through Friday, take Saturday off and finish the meeting on Sunday. And so the pastor asked him, he said, hey, <clears throat> have you seen brother so-and-so lately? He was a missionary uh, to, to a, a tribe uh, up, in, up in Canada. And he said, I haven't seen him since the day we left college. He said, would you like to see him? He said, we got Saturday? He said, I'd love to. It's about a two-hour trip. So he said, yeah, let's do that. So that morning, back in those days, the pastor was driving a Volkswagen Bug. Early that morning, they got out and loaded up in the Volkswagen Bug. And they set out on a two-hour trip. About an hour into the trip, the pastor looked over at the evangelist and he said, you know where we are? And he said, well, yeah, we're going to see brother. He said, no, no, I know you know where we're going. You know where we are right now. And he looked around. It was all white. There were no stop signs. In fact, there were no people. There were no trees. There was no nothing. He was just out in the middle of white nothingness. And he said, no, brother, I don't know where we're at. He said, we're in the dead center of the, of the deepest lake in all of Canada. Right dead center. And he said, I looked over at him. The evangelist said, are you kidding me? He said, no. And he said, relax, brother. He said, they say that it's seven feet thick here. Now, first of all, when somebody said, I want to know who they is, okay? If they say it, the they does make a difference, don't you think? They? Well, who is they? If it's my enemies, I dead sure don't trust them. Who is they? Well, they say, it's, he said, look, I don't care how thick, it, how thick this ice is. He said, preacher, you should not have taken. Now, they were college friends. And he said, you shouldn't have brought me here in the middle of this lake without asking my permission. Are you kidding me? And he said he felt his voice rising. And he said, I, I, you know, I'm preaching for the guy. I don't want to start an argument. We had not seen each other. He said, so he turned and looked out the window. And he said, I was praying silently. God, I, this guy's an idiot. Are you kidding me? He's over the deepest lake. They say they've never found bottom here. This is insanity. And he said, right as he was complaining and griping to God, he heard a rumbling. Man, he said it started and it was growing louder. He said his heart started just trying to get out, just crawling out. And he, he said he was sitting in a chair just sort of trying to take his weight off the Volkswagen. And he said, I was just trying to levitate in midair. And he said, all of a sudden, right when I felt like I was going to freeze from fright, a semi-rig blew right by the Volkswagen. He said it blew snow dust everywhere. My jaw dropped. I looked over at the pastor and said, Woo! Did you see what I just saw? He said, Brother, I told you. I told you the ice is thick here. It's safe. It's all right. You know what he said he did? He said he started bouncing up and down. Just bouncing up and down on the Volkswagen. 
Now, what happened to him? His knowledge of the object increased. And he learned from that that the ice, if it could, listen, the ice, if, if, if the ice could hold the semi-rig up, it could hold his Volkswagen up. I think of that Easter morning when those ladies were going to the tomb. You know what they were talking about? Who's going to roll this stone away? Who's going to roll this stone away for us? They were all fretting and all worried because they had seen the stone. What they didn't know is that the God that could bring the son out of the grave and conquer death, the stone was no problem. We spend our life walking around complaining and griping and fretting over stones when God wants to show us the power of the resurrection in our life. He's a miracle-working God. Look with me, would you, in in verse number 17. Let let me show you this quickly. Verse number 17. Watch, watch, um, watch, Watch this. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him, even whom he believed, even God, watch this, which quickeneth the dead. What does that mean? Only God can bring dead things alive. It may be a dead relationship. It may be deadened hope that you gave up on years ago. I don't know what it is, but God can take something that is on its last breath, on life support. God can give life to dead things. Notice what he says next. And calleth those things which be not as though they were. Do you know there was a time when this church wasn't here? Fifteen years ago, if you go backwards, 15 years ago, there was no South Valley Baptist Church. This morning, they had services there, and there was preaching, and, and, and folks were there, and, and uh, got a great report from my, my uh, uh, youth pastor of how God had worked. They listened to me, but it wasn't too long ago. It was nothingness in Cuna, Idaho, but God brought something out of nothing. And God can take our nothingness and make something out of it. Let me say this also, the obstacles that his faith overcame. Look with me, would you please, in verse number 19. The Bible's very clear on it. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham was past the age of fathering children. And so was Sarah. She was barren. But rather than seeing that as an obstacle, Abraham saw it as an opportunity for God to do a great miracle. You know what God does sometimes in our life? He hands us a dilemma. And he says, what you can do with that, son? Figure that out. You know what God wants us to say? I can't. He came to Philip and he said, how are we going to feed 5,000? And Philip says... We don't have the money, and if we had the money, there's no place to buy enough food to feed these. Philip basically said, Lord, I can't, we can't, it's too big for us. And Jesus said, give me what you got. And he took what he had, and he fed everybody, and they had baskets left over. I want to tell you, when we get to the place to where we can't, we have just arrived at where God can. God's not asking us to flex our muscles to act like somehow we, we, we got this. No, 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 no. God's waiting on us to say, I can't do this. This is bigger than me. God, if you don't get it done, if you don't, it won't. God's waiting on that type of confession. Last of all, look with me in verse 20 and 21. I love this. Verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Watch. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised... He was 
able also to perform. That's the credentials of faith. Some people make promises, but they can't keep them. They mean well. They mean full well. I want to do something. I want to help you. And they make a promise. But something happens and they can't keep their promise. Can I tell you something about God? Number one, God makes promises. Number two, God's able to keep His promises. In fact, the Bible says exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. God can not only keep His promises, He'll go beyond what you even thought He could do in your life. Here's the the last thing. Listen to me. God makes promises. God's able to keep them. Here's the third thing. He wants to keep them. That's the great thing about our God. Do you believe your God is who He says He is? And that your God can do the things that he's told you he can do. Years ago, Dixie's traveling with us, our daughter. And when she was a little girl, she came to me one day and she was very excited. She had a way of just sort of jitterbugging when she'd get excited. The golden ringlets in her hair and she just came up and she was really excited about what she was going to say to me. So she said to me, she said, Daddy, guess what? And I said, what? She said, I want a Cabbage Patch doll. Now, I don't know if you know what a Cabbage Patch doll is, but it's, it's like a baby who has been mauled by white-faced hornets, okay? I mean, just severely stung. Body mumps would be another way of describing it. I mean, the, the fingers are swollen. The head outswells the hair. You know, what would have been long hair to the shoulders, it's just a right up there because the head, it's just, this, it's just this baby that's just big face, big, everything big. And it's 30-something bucks. And this is during a time my wife refers to our poverty years early in the ministry. I don't have 30-anything dollars to spend on a baby doll. And besides that, right down the road from us in the small town we were pastoring in Georgia then was our mall. It's, it's called the dollar store in a lot of different places, but it was the mall there in South Georgia. And you could get there, you, you know, I'm thinking to her, I, I can buy you a whole family there for $10. Not one baby, you can get, you can get the mama, the daddy, and siblings for 10 bucks, a, a dollar for a baby. And I understand they're not the same quality as a cabbage patch. You know, you bring them, you lay them down, their eyes closed, and the eyes open, and the eyes closed, and then, you know, it, sooner or later, when, when you lift it up, you know, after like a day, having the baby for a day, one of the eyes sticks shut. <laughs> Son, then you've got a horror movie living in your house. You walk around at night to go to the bathroom, and there's that baby with one eye just staring at you as you walk around. I know it's a little creepy, you know. The heads were concave. If you grabbed them wrong, you could pop the head off, stick it on the foot. I know that because I did it with my sister's dolls. But anyhow, that's another story and one I'd like to forget because of my mother. But anyhow, so, she, so I said, I, look, I just, this is what I said to her. We tried to be honest with our kids. I said, honey, daddy don't have, daddy don't have that kind of money. And so I said this to her. I said, why don't you pray about it? And her eyes lit up and she said, that's what I'll do. I'll pray about it. I'm thinking, good, this is God's problem now, not mine. I'm through with it. 
So we had family devotions. This is the honest truth. I've never forgot. We had family devotions. We'd sit around. I'd read some scripture, and we'd go around the room and just pray. So, so my son prayed, and then Dixie's the second oldest. She prayed, and, 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 and she started praying like this. Now, she'd been to some fellowship meetings with me, and so she prayed like this. Oh, God. <laughs> I looked at my wife, and she opened her eyes, and I said, Talk about getting a hold of the horns of the altar. And she said this prayer. This is the truth. She said, dear God, if you will give me a Cabbage Patch doll, I'll serve you all the days of my life. That's her exact words. She's held up her end of the bargain. Well, we would go on and have devotions, and she always prayed for a Cabbage Patch doll. Every time. You know, it just... It got a little old, to be honest with you. It got a little old. So she came to me one time, and she's jitterbugging again. She said, Daddy, guess what? I said, what, Dixie? She said, I'm still praying for my cabbage patch doll. I said, ah! you don't think I know that? You're driving me nuts. Yes, I know. I wanted to sit her on my knee and say, honey, listen. Has God given you your cabbage patch yet? No, Daddy. Well, baby, listen. There's, there's wars in the world. People are having heart surgeries. People are struggling with cancer. I mean, there's some real problems in the world. If God, if God wanted to give you, he probably would have given it to you already. So why don't you just start praying for some serious things in the world and drop the cabbage patch deal? But I couldn't hurt her. I knew that would hurt her heart, so I couldn't do it. Well, time rolled on. About six months, we went to my sister's house in Cartersville, Georgia. We'd go spend Thanksgiving with them. So we pull in and get, get in and settle. My, my niece, Debbie, she said to me, she said, can I talk with you? I said, sure. So she said, Dean, every time a department store opens in town, I've always religiously filled out the little slip, dropped it in the box. There's free giveaways. I'm going to win something. She said, I've never won anything. Nothing. She said, this new department store is opening up. And she said, they've got, they've got cookware. They've got a microwave. they got like 20 gifts. She said, there's the table. There's the box. Fill it out. You could win one of these prizes. She said, I started walking by. And she said, it was like God just said, no, nope, fill it out. I walked over, filled my name out, dropped it in. And she said, forgot about it. Three days ago, she said, I got a phone call. And she said, the lady said, Miss Bruce, yes, it's me. Uh, you filled out, a th- I sure did. Well, you want, bring some ID down and come pick up your prize. And she said, I'm thinking, Whoa, finally, I won something. I can't wait. She's wondering if it's cookware or a microwave. or oh, She's just excited she won anything. And this is what she said to me. She said, I went down there, showed them my ID. They said, Miss Bruce, yes, here's your prize. Congratulations. And then this is what she said. There were no commas. There, weren't, there wasn't hyphen, semicolon. There was nothing. It was just one gigantic long sentence. She said this. She said, Dane, you won't believe it, but I want a cabbage patch doll and wondered if I could give it to Dixie. Just blurted it out. I mean, Dean, I want a cabbage patch doll. I wondered if I could give it to Dixie. Well, I knew... I knew all the scenery behind what had just happened, and so I started crying. I'm just sitting there beginning to slobber. Now, you got to understand, my niece is Southern Baptist. I'm Independent Baptist, and so there's a little different there. And so this is what she said to me. She said, hey, man, I didn't know y'all had standards against Cabbage Patch dolls. She said, that's exactly what she said. She's, and I'm thinking, just give us time. We will, but, but anyhow. So... 
So she said, just, just forget I ever mentioned this to you. And I'm waving her off like, no, no, no. So I told her the story of what had happened. And I said, go give it to Dixie. And in the back, I heard a little girl go, woo! And she come running up through the room and jumped up in my arms, holding the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. Marvin. If there's a Marvin here, I apologize. Because there's a Marvin at our house, a Cabbage Patch doll, stung by white-faced hormones. She showed me that doll and she said, Daddy, look what God gave me. And I hugged her and I said, go show everybody. And I closed the door. And I asked God if he would forgive me for thinking that he was so small that he couldn't handle the wars of the world, the open heart surgeries and the cancer, and still love a little girl enough to give her a cabbage patch doll. And I did this. I said, Father, if I could reach my arms up high enough and wide enough and put them around your neck because you were such a heavenly father to my daughter, I'd thank you. Now there's a giant maybe that walked out in your life and thumped his chest. He's called your name. He's defied your faith. He's challenged everything you've ever believed in. Now let me tell you about giants. They will not disappear. They don't just go away. 40 days and 40 nights. The size of the giant was demoralizing. The presence of the giant was intimidating. Your giant won't vanish. Listen, when you wake up in the morning, your giant will be there unless he's defeated by faith. It could be, it could be that, that, that you've got a need in your life and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. But it didn't come when you thought it would come. And so you took your prayer and you put it on a shelf and said, I'm done with that. I'm telling you what you need to do is take your prayer off, blow the dust off of it, and start praying for your wayward child again. Start praying, start praying for your neighbor that's lost or your mom or dad that's on the way to hell or your uncle or aunt that doesn't, that doesn't have any understanding of godly things whatsoever. I'm just simply telling you this. Listen, do we believe that God is who God said he is and that God can do what God says he can do? Do you think that God will give a little girl a Cabbage Patch doll and has no concern over your needs and your heartaches? Oh, yes, he does. Let's bow our heads tonight.